0: don't think it's gonna be a horror movie do you you know i just hate them and i hate missing the star come on where is the Metropole? i've never heard of it me neither maybe it's new
1: according to an old legend nostradamus was buried here What's strange i didn't know there
2: was a movie theater on this
1: street. been closed for years It's for a small woods. Mm-hmm. how come i never noticed you it never noticed anything written by Nostradamus, something about
0: demons. he
2: will spread pestilence and contaminate the world, remember that inscription outside, they will make
0: cemeteries, their cathedrals
2: and tombs, your cities, welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast, The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language.
1: Became a demon, an instrument of evil.
2: (laughs) As part of our throwback series, today we'll be looking at Demons from 1985. Starring Urbano Barberini, Natasha Hovey, Carl Zinni, Fiore Argento, and Bobby Rhodes. Directed by Lamberto Bava. We gotta stop! Believe me, we gotta
1: stop
0: the movie! believe that shit. What are
2: you waiting for? Stop the movie! Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. That's Rambo talking, baby. Oh yeah, Tuck ripper. It's Gally in Glasgow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And here has bred pestilence and contaminate the world with my shit opinions. It's uh, Devlin in London.
2: Hello, Devlin. How are you doing?
1: I'm very well, thank you Gally, how
2: are you? I'm not too bad, I'm not too bad. So, this is, if you've not listened to uh, the podcast before, this is part of the Throwback series where we go back and delve into our old VHS collection, the films of our past, and try and determine whether or not they still hold up today. So, today we have Demons 1985. Evelyn, do you want to explain what Demons 1985 is?
1: Uh, What it is, yeah, it's a, uh, it's an Italian horror movie, uh, Moni. It's very difficult to pronounce. It's got that long E sound. And this is a film that came into my life very young, too young, to be honest.
2: Like Um, every film that we've done.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I've got a lot of family in the States. A couple of my aunts moved there from Glasgow when they were younger and the first time I went to visit, I was six and I believe this was the trip. When I saw this, obviously I went when I was six and seven, we went to uh, Chicago where my aunt Anne lives and my dad took my uncle out, uh, drinking. Um, my dad got my uncle, um, sloshed, like fully smashed. This is, um, time that an actual tornado came through. So a tornado is ripping through this town, and uh and my dad and my uncle are out in in the town somewhere. And my aunt asked my uh, my cousin, a, a much older cousin, to to kind of look after me and my brother, He'd kind of keep us, you know, keep us distracted during a tornado away from the windows and stuff. And, and he decided we were going to watch a movie, and he decided that the movie we were going to watch was was demons. I mean. Wow. Even more so than when I watched Predator Two, and that was weird. Watching something like this with no context, like if you think about like the rules of uh, of what a film are or what storytelling is or any of that, isn't totally totally locked into your squishy little brain at this age. But this film just sort of rips it all apart. Like, there's not really there's not really a like a lead character it's just it's grotesque like it's disgusting yeah so that's my uh that's that's my story with demons demons was obviously the first horror movie i remember seeing certainly the first foreign horror movie i remember seeing um and did strange things to me at a very young age yeah i bet um yeah so uh based on your reaction of of our last episode <laughs> which was a little deadpan. You're not familiar with this film then?
2: No, no. So this is the beauty of the pod, is that I have never seen Demons. I have now. Uh, I've also went away and watched Demons 2. So there was a sequel. Uh, And yeah, so it was the first time I'd ever seen it. And I was actually really surprised at um, at sort of the cult following uh, that this film has kind of garnered over the years, uh, because it completely bypassed me. And yeah, so it'll be interesting to go through it and see me, who's now watched it twice, and you who've seen it countless times. So we'll we'll go through it and and kind of discuss its merits, its flaws, and whether or not we think it still holds up. Who knows?
1: Well, because I I was interested to see whether whether you had much um, exposure to Italian cinema in
2: general. That'll be a big fat negative. Yeah. I, honestly, Demons was the first time it was my Dolmio day. I've not actually seen. I can't think of another Italian uh, film <laughs> that I would have seen. Uh, yeah. Oh, before we get, uh, or before I get criticized, I, I, I have got Italian blood running through through me. So I, I'm safe.
1: So you're allowed to just say whatever shit you want?
2: Of course.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I on the other hand uh, uh, live with an Italian so I cannot say any of the jokes
2: oh so... mamma mia that's terrible <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you you mate you go to town yeah <laughs> you just you feast on them the the two kind of key players on this film then the director lamberto bava and the producer and co-screenwriter uh, dario argento whether you had any familiarity with him
2: Dario Argento mm. the name that is is plastered all over this film unfortunately for Lamberto he's kind of res- he's, yeah substituted down into the the small print uh, this is very much being sold as a Dario Argento film
1: well uh, so Lamberto Bava as you said he's kind of been pushed a little bit to the background in the um, in the story of his own movie but um he's kind of a a, a legendary name in his own right not so much, sadly not so much by his own achievements but by the fact that his um his father Mario Bava was kind of the progenitor of Italian horror c- cinema at least as we know it now he kind of came up through through making italian b movies and he made this uh, amazing film called uh, la maschera del demonio or uh, the mask of satan or black sunday its its uk title i believe was with uh, with barbara steel uh which is this incredible kind of Black and white, Baroque, Gothic. Don't know whether to say masterpiece, because you know probably shouldn't bandy that round uh, that word around too much. But it's um, it was certainly a film that kickstarted an entire block of horror films from Italy. I mean, if you think specific types of horror films that we've got, you've kind of got the Universal movies in the twenties and thirties, German expressionist horror around the same sort of era was doing something very different these very stylized sets and british horror in the 50s and 60s you had the hammer a lot of that kind of hammer horror um atmosphere crept into these italian films as well japan was making these incredibly lush very strange ghost stories around the same sort of time all these regions were coming up with their own specific archetype of of what horror was was going to look like in that in that cinematic region um, and Mario Bava was throughout the sixties was um, was kind of just super influential.
2: So, is it safe to say then, for demons in the category of sort of subgenre of horror, we're kind of into the the splatterhouse, the gore. So, is that is that a fair assessment of Italian horror as it as an archetype, or is that, it is that where on it moved to into so in to the
1: eighties? almost psychedelic in some in some cases it's very rich kind of heavy atmosphere a lot of them a lot of them to be fair were demonic or satanic to do with satanic rights a lot of the directors would say that this very um dramatic form of catholicism that they were brought up in would have influenced their style in this so you know i i have now been to a catholic church in Italy. It is, it is pretty thick with a very strange, very dramatic air to it. You know the um, incense swinging around and stuff. Giant Jesuses or is it Jizai? everywhere? It's um, it's pretty intense. Um, uh, but when you move into the seventies, they started to get a little more lurid. There was also another sort of second subgenre of jali in plural, which is the the kind of f- very famous stalk-and-slash horror movies where you have, you know, attractive young women and then you have the black leather-clad hands sort of creeping out from a POV shot. Very long, drawn-out kill sequences. This is what Argento kind of made his name with. Stuff like Deep Red, like Profondo Rosso.
2: So is it fair to say then that that type of horror influenced American cinema and then American cinema kind of popularized it. Is that fair, or is or is it was it the other way around?
1: I think that's very fair. I think um, people like Sean S. Uh, Sean S. Cunningham and Steve Miner, the guys who came up with Friday the Thirteenth, were very familiar with the sort of late mid, uh, mid to late seventies okay. Italian output. These uh, these giallo movies. So we had uh, so we had that in the 70s. You also had a lot of like sex exploitation stuff, much like Demons. A lot of them are shot in English, but with non-English actors, and are then dubbed back into Italian for the domestic market, and then left in English for the international market, or locally dubbed for wherever if they managed to make it that far.
2: Yeah, I was I was worried about this one, Davlin. It was one of the questions we was going to have when we were going to get get to the film because I know that Sergio Leone. When I said I didn't watch Italian films, I meant horror. You're the horror guy. This is very much your genre. Um, I'm I'm team sci-fi. So when, when a sci-fi film comes up, it'll be my time to shine. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sergio Leone used to shoot without, without sound. He would record the dialogue after. I didn't know, so I'm glad you cleared that up because I wasn't sure whether or not that was just an Italian filmmaking thing or I did assume it was because they wanted to dub it and then do the Italian, but make sure that they they got the more lucrative market, which would have been English-speaking. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't know, so I'm glad you cleared that up, because I, I wasn't sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, as, as far as I'm aware, that, that's why they did it. And also, just that it's faster. It's faster to not bother quite in the set-down. It's faster to not bother having to set up uh, mics in places
2: it's also funnier
1: yeah well exactly it is it's much 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 funnier <laughs> i don't know if you remember going through video shops in like the late 90s you would always see uh vipco's vaults of horror do you remember
2: those honestly i, I came to horror okay. so late um and i and yeah so i can and when i did when i eventually sort of started to enjoy horror films i pretty much stopped at evil dead right as as far as like the the latest, I would go, and then I've gone back and watched the Universal yeah. monster films. But there's a there's a big gap in in sort of my knowledge and understanding of of where horror evolved from.
1: Once you get into the sort of early '80s, you start getting the influence bouncing back from the U.S. So that, uh, a lot of U.S. filmmakers would be pulling, you know, importing these these Italian films. The guys would be watching them, and because these exploitation films are so quick to turn around. You could have a film six months later, which is pulling ideas from an Italian film, which is made in America. So something like Last House on the Left pulled quite a lot from some of the more kind of grimy Italian films of the 70s. But then those movies would would try and up the ante on Last House on the Left, so you end up everyone's. This is when you start getting into the early 80s video nasty era. Stuff like uh, Cannibal Holocaust, which is honestly. Just not to my tastes at all. A lot of the funding for this was through a few big name executive producers and producers. One of which was um, Dino De Laurentiis.
2: Yes, I did notice the De Laurentiis' name in the credits.
1: Now, at that point in the 80s, he was on his way to the States and he was taking all his money with him. Late 70s, he was starting to make films over there. He worked on Serpico and he was on Conan the Barbarian and also weird shit like Dune. He also put up all the money for Maximum Overdrive.
2: Oh, that was a bad choice.
1: Stephen King, <laughs> the Stephen King movie
2: <laughs> that was co-directed by cocaine. Yeah. So, uh, we'll have to do that one ag- at some point.
1: So um, at this point, like these these workmen, these, these Italian filmmakers who were used to making so much stuff were really s- struggling to, to find outlets, to find material, to find work. A lot of it migrated to television. There's a, a surprising amount of... Um, italian made for tv horror uh but obviously tv regulations means that you can't quite push the envelope so much so what you end up with is a movie like demons being kind of a last gasp of big ridiculous shock cinema in a cinema beyond this there aren't really that many very notable italian horror films of this type okay there are still very good italian horror films but um so I think maybe that's why the the cult of this has has grown so much.
2: This was the pinnacle.
1: Yeah, it's fortuitous timing as well. It comes around the same time that American horror started getting a real boom and it started opening its opening itself up. Yeah, I mean horror horror um, at this
2: point. I mean when we're in the in the mid 80s and it is yeah. it is the most popular genre box office wise. Yeah, this is what's getting bums on seats. Right, well should we get into it devs? We're on a train into this mythical world called berlin
1: i really like that they did not establish whatsoever that we were in berlin
2: i didn't know whether they were just trying to go for it's just mm-hmm. a city but they do not try and hide that this is clearly yes. europe and, and more importantly berlin because later on all the exterior shots that we you know we can see the german yeah. signage the police have <laughs> it's quite clear that it's policia uh, and not police Uh, So, yeah, it was interesting that they they made that choice because I wasn't sure whether they were trying to initially conceal it and just go for, you know, we have an American girl, she's on the train, but then we've got all these punks that look like they're straight out of the Streets of Rage game. And I was like, okay, so we've got loads of punks. Is that because we're in Berlin and it was a a popular movement at that time? Or is it because the filmmakers are trying to say something? Because later on, the punks have some importance in the plot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean some being the operative word they certainly don't do anything to gee, it's not like the train goes right past the Brandenburg Gate or anything
2: we, we're introduced to our oh, I'm going to hesitate to say protagonist because she sort of disappears but our main yeah. character initially anyway certainly uh, now for the purpose of the rest of the episode I'm just going to call her Kristen Stewart because her name's Cheryl but you you only get that in the last 20 minutes when a name gets shouted out repeatedly. So I'm going to go with Kristen Stewart because that's what she looks like. And because these actors are um are not renowned, there is no one of uh, of any kind of name that I believe, um, maybe the listeners will be aware of. I'm just going to stick with people okay. they look like. I,
1: I, I looked at uh, what some of the actors were up to. And uh, Cheryl is, uh, I think Cheryl is Lebanese. I think
2: she is is Lebanese. yeah, And she
1: didn't do
2: a a whole bunch. She's not very good, but it doesn't matter.
1: (laughs) But you get, you get some stuff you get that. She's a, you pretty much get that. She's a student just based on her age and how kind of out of place she looks. She's got that big wide eyed expression Mm -hmm. staring at everyone. She's carrying a a stack of books, one of which is a Bella Bartok. Yeah. She's a music student. Yep. That's it, though. You that's it. That's is. that's
2: all you really get for for yeah. for Christmas, it But when she's she sees a she sees something and in the reflection of the window. She's mm-hmm. staring out on the train, um, and a metallic face. A metallic face, yes. And then when she gets off the uh, she gets off the train, and everyone just disappears as you do. It's a horror film, yeah. and then yeah. somebody is stalking her, following her, and it just so happens to be Phantom of the Opera meets the Terminator. Yes, and the, and the Terminator. Uh, this is this is this isn't rocket science. Later on, when we get to the cinema, there's a poster of the film uh, in shot, uh, and also I think the music um, at times, some of the score music, it's very industrial. It's very similar to uh, Brad Fretel's yeah. score in the Terminator. So you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It was I think it was a couple of years yeah. before. So two
1: two years, well one year. Yeah, but that's what I mean about how how kind of rapidly they turn these things out. You can uh, you can imbibe and regurgitate the influence of a film which was just out. It's a cool look as well, the way the mask is kind of buried in his face. Yeah, no,
2: it's, it's cool. It's creepy. But what he does, mm-hmm. w- we'll need to explain this. So he he yeah. is handing out tickets, very Willy Wonka style, golden tickets to see yeah. some film. You don't even know what the film is. No, it just says the name, just of, says the the name of the cinema. And Cheryl, I guess this is somewhat of a trope for horror films. You know, stupidly sort of says, "Yeah, I'll go to that." Can I get one for my friend? We meet her friend. So the guy just walks away. He us oh, away. Well. Cheryl goes and gets two tickets from Willy Wonka. And then we meet a, fr- a friend, Kathy. I'm gonna say Megan. Kathy. Megan Fox for me.
1: You're going Megan Fox. Yeah. Okay, I was just gonna call her Sulky.
2: Sulky. Yeah, she's she's in a bit of a mood, isn't she? And she is. she's,
1: Fucked up. <laughs>
2: she's got those high waisted looks like she went to the same tailor as Danny Glover they're very high the trousers <laughs> they're not as baggy but they're very high yeah. um but yeah so she meets her friend Kathy they decide not to go to class even though the sun is clearly setting so it must be like some sort of night class i guess yeah.
1: uh, the teacher has a ridiculous name right is it like mrs buckles or something yeah
2: it's it's what was it so what i find really interesting about um about sort of films like this is I'm unsure, and maybe you can help me out, I'm unsure whether or not we have an Italian filmmakers who are clearly trying to appeal to a American or English-speaking audience. I don't know whether or not they're trying to imitate an American-looking movie or kind of have fun with it and, and almost parody it. The fact yeah. that they're, they're these kind of just airhead girls that just say yeah let's just go to the movie there is, there is no question to it i don't know whether that's just efficient yeah. storytelling i say efficient storytelling it's, there's no story whatsoever really um but whether it's not let's yeah. just get to what the, the people have paid their money to see or they're actually yeah. doing something a little bit clever with it i don't know i mean what were your interpretations of of just the setup to get us to the cinema
1: well my interpretation of the setup is also kind of my interpretation of the entire approach to screenwriting which is that um, I think in films like this especially this kind of subgenre of this genre um, I think I mentioned it before when we were talking about Predator 2 and you very diplomatically said I was probably being a bit kind whereas I think what you meant was that I was talking bullshit <laughs> was
0: <laughs>
1: that when you write for certain genres I feel like I mean, these are these are smart filmmakers. Like Dario Argento was a co-writer on Once Upon a Time in the West. Exactly. You know, they they know what they know what they're doing. So we're not in the realms of like a like a Tommy Wiseau or whatever. Well, we're not we're not, we're not watching we're not watching a student film. Amateurs. Yeah, we're not watching enthusiastic amateurs fuck it up. So I mean, they they clearly intend to do what they're doing. Whether or not it's successful is is for personal taste, but. When it comes to the writing, I feel like what they want to do is they want to write viscerally, not logically. And that kind of runs back throughout the whole of the Italian horror genre, which is that there's much less emphasis placed on linear plot. Uh, And that can be infuriating. It can be infuriating because you could possibly consider it as just an excuse.
2: Stuff just happens because we need to get to the next scene or we want to get to the, the next big set piece that you've paid your money to see i mean it's interesting you say that about the italian cinema because i know uh, obviously we both um have, have kind of lived through uh the prominence of J horror and 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 how that yeah. became really kind of very very popular so much so that they just ended up going right every popular japanese horror film will just remake with an american remake mm. so it's it's we can grab a wider audience and what was interesting is whenever they do the remakes the thing that makes the Japanese film, whatever it whatever it may be, if it's The Ring or...
1: Let's take a... I mean, The the Ring remake has a lot of defenders. I think it's a perfectly fine film.
2: Yeah, it's perfectly it's, fine. It's,
1: it's, I think it's pretty good. The second one's terrible, but I think the first one's pretty good. But if we use that as an example, I guess because it's the most high profile, and I would say Ring is probably a lot of people's first exposure to Japanese horror, right? It certainly mm-hmm. was mine.
2: Yeah, yeah. Late Night Channel Four um, scared the hell out of me.
1: Oh, we uh, we got it on video and, and watched it on a little TV in the corner of the room. Like eight guys sat around in the, in my old student house in Stoke.
2: Seven days. Two
1: thousand, <laughs> two thousand two. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, that was a good one. <laughs> I, I still remember that. That viewing of it was was pretty intense. But
2: um, what I was what I was driving at is that the things that made those films interesting was always that the the supernatural element was taken really, really seriously and logic mm-hmm. didn't need to necessarily come into it. Do you know what I mean? But yes. I, I, I'm trying to think, what was the one that Sarah Michelle Geller was in as well? So you've got the ring. Got oh, the, the grudge. The grudge, right? So yeah. the grudge, the Japanese version, I think is amazing. R- really good. The American one is so watered down, but it wasn't just because it was like, we need to Americanize it. It was because the supernatural element needed to be explained because yeah. for a sort of Western audience, they can't, you know, maybe we're just conditioned by the films that we've seen in the past, but we need some form yeah. of explanation or some kind of expository dialogue that means that we can logically fit together. Okay, it's a ghost story, but this is the reason why and there is a resolution to it. If, if, if one character does this, then the ghost goes away. In the yes. Japanese grudge, there's no real rhyme or reason. The rules, and and it's funny actually because I'm kind of segued into something that Demons kind of does but doesn't do very well, is I yeah. always think in horror films, a bit like in sci-fi films, there needs to be established rules. You have to have rules in order to then believe that fantastical element and then go along with the ride. And if you break them and if anything goes, then you you kind of, yeah, you lose. You certainly lose me. I don't like it. When you were saying about the um, the Italian films, just getting to the point, like, okay, we don't not really interested in logical storytelling. This scene follows this yeah. scene. Here's a bit of character, because this film has none of that, none of yeah. it. And for some of our listeners who might have gone away and watched Demons, they will switch off after about ten minutes because you don't get any logical. Progression from minute one to minute ten of how the how any character ends up where they end up.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's I think that's that's uh, that's a fair assessment. And you know that that was uh, a big thing that that came up when I was watching this, and and it has done um, previously when watching because as you know I've watched you know a decent amount of horror films, and I also very much like watching foreign horror movies. And the the question becomes do you like the mystery of them because watching something that's steeped in another country's traditions that you haven't been brought up with, that you don't understand. It's another layer of like ineffability and it's mm-hmm. another gap that your mind has to sort of make a leap on and it it puts you off kilter, which for a horror film is great. If you if you're off kilter, but as you say, there's there's something to be said for somewhat establishing the rules because if you do that, it means that you should technically be experiencing it along with your protagonist. So you've got more of an emotional investment
2: because we're not in the realms of we're we're in a very different place than say the Silence of the Lambs or or even yeah. really Predator Two. Um, we're not we're not dealing with Archetypes we're not dealing with something that can transcend cultures. these characters they aren't characters, are they? I've
1: got a, I've got a little uh, a little rundown of them if you want.
2: yeah, go through them because we'll we'll referring to them constantly as we go through the, go through the plot.
1: Because I mean, we meet them almost immediately <laughs> we in, in a row <laughs> one after another, and then that's it. That's you cast like this. when we talk about efficient screenwriting, they get them into the cinema as quick as they possibly can. And then you meet. So, see if you can remember, if I just give you a name, see if you can remember who the people were. Uh, Frank and Ruth.
2: Frank's the grumpy old man who's taken his wife, I didn't know her name was Ruth, for their anniversary to see a free screening. What a cheapskate.
1: <laughs> I know, he's such an arsehole he is, throughout the he whole is, He
2: is Mr. Nobed.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. And then there's Tommy and Hannah.
2: Oh the girl and girlfriend, boyfriend snogging at the back of the cinema.
1: Teenagers. He's got a sweater neck. God, they've all got sweater necks. <laughs> well, yeah. Next one's George and Ken.
2: Ah, there are two male counterparts to Megan Fox and Kristen Stewart.
1: Yes. And uh, finally Werner and Liz. Oh not finally. Penultimately, Werner and Liz.
2: Is that the blind guy and the Is it his wife?
1: No. I think it's his daughter. There's a line of dialogue later. Oh, that's said, creepy. What they that's did even creepy
2: I just... Yeah. hadn't said that, I thought it was his wife. We've, <laughs> well, we've,
1: we've, got, we've got a fun scene with Werner and Liz coming up mm-hmm. to talk about. And yeah. then uh, finally, uh, Rosemary, Carmen and Tony.
2: Okay, let's forget about Rosemary and Carmen. Tony the pimp. He's my favourite yep. character, by the way. Bobby Rhodes. Oh. What a great, what a great, great actor.
1: Um, I, looked at, no, I looked at Bobby Rhodes <laughs> because I wanted to know what his deal was. Cause, yeah, um,
2: he's happening is what his is. deal
1: is. I assumed falsely apparently that he was because um, of the name as well, Bobby Rhodes. I mean, it can't be much more American. Uh, he's from Livorno.
2: Oh, very good. Well, that'll explain his weird, weird uh, inflections. So that's good.
1: Yes yeah 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 just yelling just yelling all the time oh there's a
2: lot of yelling in this film there's a lot of yelling
1: um (laughs) so yeah that and that's it there are other people in the cinema but you do not know who they are and it does not matter because and we
2: we get the punks later on but we'll get it we'll get to them because they like i said they they sort of just come and go real quick but
1: oh and uh also the the creepy usher
2: yeah yeah the um the Leprechaun.
1: <laughs> she is. She is dressed <laughs> as a Leprechaun.
2: Well, she's dressed like either a Christmas elf or a Leprechaun. Well, I thought she was in on it. So yeah, totally. that act, that actor must have had like, I don't know, must have read a different script because the looks that she's given tells me that she's totally in on this whole ruse From of we're right? going to get like all these people into the uh, cinema. She's yeah, in the yeah.
1: cinema, she's adjusting her stockings, you've got that creepy shot through the doorway of her giving herself a weird yeah, smile. Yeah she's um but this is
2: where this is where this film blurs the lines between we've got clearly competent filmmakers yeah. and then it's kind of a bit studenty it's we're, there's there's like two different films going on or two different definitely two different sort of techniques of filmmaking right. and one is this amateur hour and then the other one is this really quite smart meta parody of of these types of horror yeah. films and they kind of just mesh, and sometimes it happens in the same scene. And she's one of them. Like they set her up, and it would normally be like some sort of reveal later on, where you'd be like, "Oh wow, yeah. okay." No, it's just they—they they definitely uh, the way that they frame it, like you said, the way that the the actors performing, they're definitely setting it up that we would suspect her. But there's no, um, you know, we've said it many times. There's no payoff to that. It's just. She's not in on it. Yeah, it. she
1: just ends up as yet another more meat but, fodder.
2: Indeed. Well, what I do like is uh, the Chekhov's gun. They establish it in this film brilliantly because we're going to go watch this film. Uh, we're going to go into a cinema to watch a film for yeah. free that we don't know what it is. There's no title. And we have just randomly a a motocross bike with, with a samurai a on it. A katana sword <laughs> with, a, with a samurai sword and then this little Sort of definitely looks a bit plasticky. Crappy mask on. They will all come in later yeah. on. Great bike, huh? It's fantastic. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely fantastic.
1: Oh,
0: rats. Come on, give us back the money.
1: Hey,
2: Ken. hate these
0: machines. Forget
2: the bike. It's brilliant. I wouldn't. I'm not going to say it's masterfully set up. It's just the fact that it's so so prominent in the opening scenes and then it just disappears. But it will come back. Don't you worry. Hold yeah. on. It will come back. I
1: I do feel like that's a (laughs) bit of a a theme on a smaller level throughout the film that um, there's stuff that sort of 30, 40 minutes in, you realize what was happening before. Just weird stuff like, um, like Verna and Liz. Liz is narrating the film. Obviously, we'll get to this part later, but Liz is narrating the film to Verna, And I was thinking, where are they? And then it's only later that you find out that they were up on the balcony level on their own. Stuff like that, which is kind of cool. It's kind of cool that it asks questions and it takes the time to answer them, but much, much later and without referring back to the question.
2: There are certain things in this film, Dablin, that are are really, really well done. They're executed really well. There are other things that... um, quite frankly just baffling and i think that's where the four writers comes in because there's 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 parts of this film that feel like they're like from four different ideas and they were sat in a brainstorm and they just went Oh, we'll just do them all. That doesn't necessarily mean that it has an impact on your overall enjoyment of the entire film. At this point, we're about, what, maybe 15 minutes in? The
1: lights lights come down to watch the film at the 10-minute mark.
2: Ah, very good. There is one important plot point before we get into the cinema, and that is Rosemary puts on the mask and scratches herself, fool of a toque. That will come in later on. But they all go into the cinema. Uh, Props to them, because they are filming in a real locale. Uh, looks like the yeah. worst seats I've ever seen. It's like a school assembly seats, aren't they? These like wooden chairs with no um, no cushions. Uh,
1: well, I but... think we're in a yeah. I think we're in a proper old movie movie theater from from way back. I mean, it's cool. It's like one of the one of those big picture houses. Oh know? yeah,
2: it's... yeah, it is cool. Um, yeah. and and all our characters are sort of spread out. And what I do like, and this is one of the things that was, kind of goes away from the film, but. Um, it, it was something that popped into my mind when I was watching it. Is the the two girls, so Kristen Stewart and Megan Fox, sit down, yep. uh, getting ready to watch the film, and uh, George and Ken are two guys. Are those two annoying twats that you get when you go to the cinema? That even though there's plenty of seats available, they sit next to you, and it's one of my pet peeves when I go. Um, I am I, I can't stand it when people decide. Oh, I'd rather be sat next to somebody. Uh, <laughs> even though the seat's available,
1: yeah, Get out mate.
2: Yeah, my my second <laughs> on, one is on, um, pretending you've got mates. Ah, I know, I know. My second one is people that graze, oh, graze yeah. on on yeah crisps and popcorn. Just pick from the top. Don't rummage at the bottom. Just pick from the top.
1: Yeah. Also, maybe you know this is a completely off topic. Maybe choose which films you do and do not decide to graze in.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You have a bit of consideration.
2: Yeah. Oh, actually, you know what? While we're on it, my third one, Yeah. even though your phone's on silent, that little bit of light coming from the right edge of my eye line means that you've yeah. really, really distracted me.
1: You, you are going to have to put that down. <laughs> I can guarantee you're not important enough that nobody needs to know where you are for one hour and 45 minutes.
2: Oh, well, not nowadays, mate. That's two hours and 15. And if you got there really like three hours with ads. But well,
1: you're right. Actually, people might think you're dead.
2: Exactly. Exactly. God help you. You might have received a tweet. But yeah, no. It's uh, um, uh, it's slightly off topic. But uh, there are loads and loads of rules of the cinema. But they're my three. They're my top three.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is one of the, the top one seems to be just get away from me, which is <laughs> which is fair.
2: Well, listen, in the world that we live in nowadays, I don't want to see anyone.
1: Don't even want to see people we like.
2: <laughs> no, not at all. I just want to hear you. I don't want to look at you. <laughs> Uh, i'm gonna give demons some credit here i quite like the innovative way that they have got expository dialogue that is actually in the film that they are watching i think it's quite an interesting idea it's written by nostradamus it's something
0: about demons it says here that demons are instruments of evil (laughs) trick-or-treat don't do that how do i look Whoever wears it becomes a demon. How do you know? It says here, whoever wears it becomes a demon. And an instrument of evil.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure.
2: It's quite cool, right? It makes no sense. This whole Nostradamus are you trying to say production. that you don't
1: want to watch the Nostradamus movie.
2: No, no. But what I <laughs> wanted to... It
1: starts off with a really portentous quote.
2: Oh, Soundtracked
1: with like a bad 80s metal tune.
2: Yeah, but we see the bike. So we're like, okay, yes. that's the second time we see this bike. No samurai, it, though. No, the samurai's randomly put in there. Uh, again, I think that's where the the four screenwriters in the room, someone went, Katana?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe someone actually said, I've got one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty it's red.
2: Pretty <laughs> but yeah, we, um, I do like the idea, uh, I do like the execution of it, because the film they are watching is god-awful. Yeah. The dialogue is terrible. The shots what, the, are awful. The
1: Nos- what about the Nostradamus line? Nostradamus sounds like some kind of band. Yeah, Top of the Pups in 1500. That is
2: oh, tremendous man. dialogue. That's like That's Stephen a- King dialogue. That's not good. Yeah. Not good at all. But the, um, the, the characters who are watching the film, which normally I would say is probably the most undramatic thing you can do is sit, our characters down watching a film and we're watching them watch it. Um, But he says, Hi, great movie, huh? I'm thinking, is this Argento and co having a little, little poke at us saying this is shit and we know it, but we're just going to nudge and wink and say, we know it's shit. We made it. (laughs) What do you think? I I, I couldn't work Uh... it out.
1: If I had to take a guess, I would say it would be a more rudimentary thing, which is just they needed to keep our cast of characters in the audience's mind while we're going through this.
2: It's very meta, right? And yeah. and we have a we have a scene later on where one of the one of the I mean, is she a prostitute? I
1: believe they are because um He's a the, pimp, right? So it's gotta yeah, be he's, he's definitely one of his one of his, girls and, one of his uh, girls and he has two women with him and also the asshole husband when they're laughing later yeah. is the hookers everywhere. <laughs> oh he does,
2: doesn't he? You're right. Okay. So they are they are hookers. Uh, so one of the hookers, it's Kevin Williamson who wrote Scream and Scream 2. Yes. He had to have watched this film. It's it's gotta be a nod. I'm not a horror. Like I said, I'm not like a huge, huge horror fan. I don't have that encyclopedic knowledge of this genre, but I'm sure that folk who have seen Scream 2 are probably like going, Gally, everyone knows this. We've known this since 98, but (laughs) I didn't know it. So when I was watching this, I was like, oh, wow, this is like, like when Jada Pinkett Smith gets totally stabbed in Scream 2. Yeah. And also in that scream too, there is a meta thing going on where our characters are watching a film about the film that is going to happen to them. So I think that should be pointed out. It probably has been in many, many times, but I've not trawled through YouTube. You know what? It's the first time I've ever
1: heard it, and good on you, because. Oh,
2: thanks, buddy. It was just it it immediately came to my mind because, like I said, my exposure to horror film is pretty limited. uh, But I've seen all of them in the nineties. Most of the terrible ones, and. When I'm not going to give away my, um, my sandwiches on Scream 2, but uh, I've seen Scream 2 a lot, so it just came to mind straight away as soon as, uh, as soon as one of our hookers is behind the screen and then comes out. I was like, well, that reminds me of Jada Pinkett Smith.
1: Yeah, and it's nice to be reminded of Jada Pinkett Smith, isn't it? Every now and then.
2: When she wasn't so mad. Did you ever
1: hear her a metal band?
2: No, any good. Do. but please do <laughs> hear them. Good review, Devlin. <laughs> um,
1: so we're back within the movie within the movie and this is where we get the uh the inscription which you know i really love is um how florid a lot of the uh the dialogue is in this like you know that they will make cemeteries their cathedrals and tombs your cities
2: i you know what i will say though and this is this is something i experienced and i think for our listeners who will may go away and watch this for the first time i've given given them credit for the way that it's innovative and the way that they've delved out the the rules, I mean, there's not many and uh, about the demons, which are very similar to zombies, uh, but as far as yeah. the rules, you know, get scratched and all that kind of stuff, it does go on too long. Like, they um, they're, it, they're restricted mm-hmm. in that location within the cinema, and one of the things I noticed was that the camera doesn't really move, so when we're watching the film, nothing's really happening, and nothing's really sort of engaging you, because yeah. the dialogue's so kind of stilted, and just like thudding. Um and then when we're just watching our characters just sit there and they make some off the comment you know, off the cuff remarks like, Isn't the movie great? or, you know, I'll hold your hand if you get scared. It's all a bit not very much fun. Um and the only bit that did grab my attention was blind guys, mm-hmm. wife, daughter, whoever is just copping off with Champ Kind from Anchor.
1: Oh, you went with Champ Kind. It's, it's, that's the it, that's, That is a yeah. good point. Oh, which one did you go for? Uh, Hercule Poirot, <laughs> but without a mustache. <laughs> David Suchet, basically.
2: Oh, I've met him. <laughs> oh, no. If I watch Demons again, I'll be like, you dirty, dirty bastard. Yeah, that's so weird. He totally had a Tinder He's like a Tinder hookup. Yeah. He just. What makes you laugh is like, were they... Is it a Tinder hookup or is it just like, oh, we always meet in the cinema? You,
1: the 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 cinema that that nobody knew existed. <laughs> but, like they kind of arranged it beforehand because like that dude with a metal face has been handing out tickets that day.
2: Oh, it, Champ Kind got the golden ticket and he just saw a nice bit of sweet blonde and was like, "That guy's blind." I'm totally getting in. And it's just the way that they're yeah. they're like snogging and they're proper cow tonguing. Oh, yeah. And it's for ages. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of back in the day, under under eighteens nappy night in Valentino's and Stoke on Trent. I was doing that stuff when I was about eleven years. Well, okay, eleven. I wasn't <laughs> won't give myself that much credit. I was twelve years old. Just yeah, can I go with your mate, please? That's what it was like. They're going <laughs> off me? for about five minutes, snogging. Oh Come up for air, team. <laughs> oh, the
1: nineties and Stokes sounds so bleak. What, what the fuck is nappy night? You never nope. heard of
2: nappy night. That's when you um, you're under eighteen and you need to you know you need to get out and yeah, do something. Yeah. Uh, so you just you go to a nightclub, a real nightclub, but they charge you like twenty quid oh to get gosh. in, and it's about two pound fifty for a can of coke. So they, do like- they don't sell oh, any alcohol, so, but like everyone everyone is just snogging wow. and you you're into double figures if you've got half a you know if you if you're in your rock ports and your stone island yeah. jumper you're gonna get about 10 snogs <laughs> 10 that night. Snogs it's pretty sweet taking
1: back to school the next day
2: anyway we've digressed yeah. big time but that's what's going on right in demons uh, yeah. those two are just getting yeah. it on it's like the only bit of sort of sexiness so you know you were talking before about the italian horror and the history mm. and the luridness this is about there's as close to you little. get as a kind of of time yeah, for the team. There's like
1: a, an awkward middle-aged George Costanza lookalike pouring away at some girl next to, apparently, her blind dad. Yeah. He needs <laughs> he needs to know what's going on in the film. That's why he brought her.
2: Mate, have you ever accidentally gone into an audio-descripted film no, as well? Man. I have. And it's, it's torturous. Uh, I've got to say, I, there's nothing against them. Obviously, they're there to support mm. an audience. But if you don't need it, Oh, wow. Imagine it. imagine it's, it's tough. Yeah. I didn't know what AD meant when I, when I bought my ticket.
1: <laughs> well, we've had 3D, then we exactly. had 4D. This is AD. Alternative. Additional dimension. Additional alternative. <laughs> Amazing dimensions. How many dimensions can you fit on the screen?
2: My long winded point was that I'm not going to lie, I wanted to check out on the Facebook I first do remember you texting
1: me to say that you weren't entirely sure I'd you were text going to I texted you, didn't I? I was
2: cursing you. you. I was like, Devlin. You son of a bitch! Why have you, why have you yeah. put me through this? I,
1: I feel like um.
2: But then it all it all starts to happen, right? So it is like the twenty minute mark where it's like, wait a minute, just stick with it because things are about to get. Yeah. But the
1: the idea of, of filming because it's it's a long portion of screen time that you are just sitting watching people watching a movie. But as I was saying before about how at this point, especially in this genre a lot of this stuff is being is bypassing cinemas or they just can't get the funding for it anyway and it's all going towards T V, which I guess becomes a an interesting point when you watch the second Demons movie. Uh but I feel like they're using mm. this as an opportunity to like valorize the cinematic experience to like
2: Oh no. Hundred percent they are. Hundred percent. I mean there's even um our, our man Tony you know, when they're trying to later on in the film, when they're trying to escape and he's talking, you know, and people are saying like, shut down the movie. And it's like, we'll find the exit. You know, there, there are lines that you can interpret as being totally meta. Have it, you know, describing and commentating on the state of cinema at that point. Uh, You know, we, it, it happens now in modern cinema all the time. And in fact, it's so much so that that becomes part of your enjoyment is, you know, again, identifying mm-hmm. the winks and the nudges I, I do think this film is doing that definitely 100 cool. percent. but now now we get now we get into um really what you pay your money for for a film yeah. like this
1: this is the first time this film ramps up and when it ramps up it ramps up quickly like uh you know everything up until this point we've had very much like scene setting uh we've met some characters we've, we've sort of it's not super fast. It's like a it's like the calm before the storm. And the, on the screen, the guy cuts his face on the mask, and then Rosemary realizes that her face is still bleeding. And then, but there's still like um. There's 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 still a lull. It's it, it kind of keeps going, and then the second call girl, don't know her name. We did know her name, right? Was it Carmen?
2: Yeah, Carmen. Yeah, you Carmen know.
1: decides that she's going to go off after Rosemary, and she points out that you know it's just like in the movie with the with the cut. And uh, do you remember Tony's response to her pointing out that it was just like in the movie?
2: That's uh, all bullshit.
1: It's it's, it's a bunch <laughs> of shit, baby.
2: <laughs> oh, I forgot the baby. He says baby after everything. Yeah. Oh, I love tea.
1: But yeah, she goes off to to find Rosemary, and uh, at which point Rosemary's face has has started pulsating
2: oh man off. when when her cut on her face is yeah. pulsing it's like having the biggest spot as a teen and and mm-hmm. it just like popping that is grotesque it's like yeah. stomach tunes you can like, but it's, re- right. it's really really well done yeah. it's really really well done um I, I was just, mega impressed
1: it escalates and it escalates and then she uh um carmen goes in there to to find her and if she gets a throat torn open for a trouble yeah
2: um and and it was it was interesting, how you said it ramps up because one of the things we didn't mention in the opening was the music, and at this this is the scene where the music is propelling us through. <laughs>
1: Uh, this theme is ace. This is uh on the, on the soundtrack album, this track is called Killing. But this is yeah, this is one of Claudio Simonetti's uh themes. This is
2: this is pumping stuff, right? We've got uh Rosemary chasing Carmen, she yeah. slashed her neck. We've so already gone through curtains, it. How it, right? it's just dumb. so many curtains, but again, it's almost like uh the idea is great, and I've already said that it's 100% been taken for Scream 2, but in this film. They just kind of linger too much. Mm-hmm. It goes on for too long. Oh, like uh, she's screaming yeah. behind the screen, and on the screen, someone else is being—I wouldn't say killed—it's trying to get stabbed in a, in uh, a through a tent. Yeah. Carmen's screaming behind the yeah. screen, and we've got screaming going Ken Re- on. Ken in the reckons film. it's just the
1: Dolby system, though, so don't worry about it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ken and uh, is Kathy again? Who's who's very. Throughout the whole film, is just like it, it's it, that's an actual person screaming, but it just goes on for ages, and then they split the screen with I guess it's the the demon bit of her as she's starting to she change, through, cut yeah, through. Yeah. She pushes through, and then the music just abruptly. And it's not the first time it will do this. It just like it's a hard yeah. cut. I was uh, expecting like a record scratch. Dog that
1: she... looks at the camera in a trailer for a bad family comedy movie.
2: I, I love his line. He's like, "Get out of the way! <laughs> I know <laughs> this woman." She's a friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> She's a friend of mine. Oh, it's brilliant. I've never known uh, a pimp to be so devoted yep. to, his, um, to his hookers. And, great. And
1: she gets an amazing transformation. She
2: really does, right? I mean, this is like American yeah. Werewolf in London, The Thing, uh, and actually uh, it comes later, but Cronenberg's The Fly, the fingernails, yes. like, uh, they expand out, and it just so reminded yeah. me of Jeff Goldblum. in Also in the, the, the teeth the toilet. as well. Yeah, the teeth as well. Getting- so, I mean, this is this is body horror, right? I would say so. And uh, it's it's really it's really well done, right? Yeah, I I the like makeup it. oh that, that tongue bit. Oh you know what you know the only time that I've ever been creeped out by someone sticking their tongue out was Kingpin. <laughs> when uh, when she does the uh, yeah, but this time the, um, this also got me that tongue, it's like a dick coming yeah. out of her mouth. It's just horrendous. <laughs> but they must have built all these gags for it because i mean that's
1: they've put some work into that because the tongue comes out of a fake head but you never mm-hmm. see that head again which means they built this whole rig just for one shot
2: i mean and again i think we've already mentioned it but when was the thing was what 82 when was 82 yeah. so a few years earlier we have the thing you know if you've never seen demons even if you don't want to watch the film it's worth just checking out uh, the practical effects and if you are into this type of horror film, where it really is the practical effects are the star, yeah. then um, then you, you're gonna get some real joy out of um, the way that they they utilize those effects in this film. Yeah, I, I think it's great.
1: Oh, we missed we missed my favorite line as well before when uh, when he sends Carmen off, when Tony sends Carmen off to to go get um, Rosemary. What the hell happened to Rosemary? <laughs> I. <laughs>
2: No, it's everything <laughs> Tony says. T, T is... Um, he is my favourite character by far. And I will be following his career closely now and trying to maybe get a Bobby Rhodes film in at least once a week, just because he is... Great. Oh,
1: you know, he lives in London
2: now. Oh, does he? Oh, well, listen, yeah. next time I come down, we're going to have to just knock on his door. <laughs> we're
1: going to track down Bobby Rhodes.
2: Remi- remind me now, Devlin, where we're at. So she's now... is like the demon...
1: Yeah so she's transforming but it's all like we get a uh, like a triple hit all at once so when she's breaking through the screen as she's breaking through the screen upstairs oh uh, yeah I forgot Liz Liz and uh, David Suchet again <laughs> they're getting like smashed together with a velvet rope which is later used to hang him he comes back. Just barreling down from the balcony level. Well,
2: this is where the Friday the thirteenth bit is slightly in because this, this yeah. feels like more slasher territory as far as the yeah. kill. Um but it's it's quite it's quite cool, it's quite innovative because they were they, they've been winching for for like thirty minutes. So um you may as well kill them whilst they're winching. So yeah, it works for me.
1: And and she, uh uh Carmen immediately rips out the asshole husband's throat.
2: Yeah, Frank she... goes, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, uh, and Verna gets his eye sockets clawed out by Rosemary.
2: Yeah, that was um, yeah, that was quite creepy, and and reminded me again. I hate to talk about all these films that it reminds me of, but it just helps oh, you know, build the picture. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, Sam Neill, Event Horizon, when he rips his eyes yeah. out, it's kind of similar. You know? yeah, yeah. She kind of claws at him, but it's fre- it's freaky deaky.
1: It is. You it's really well done. It it would it would depend. You could you could make a you could make a case for this being the high point of the film
2: is it funny that we haven't even mentioned cheryl who was set up i think as our protagonist but she sort of just just falls into the background partly the actress partly she's got nothing to do we see george but actually the person who becomes really prominent in this sort of middle part of the film is is big t is tony uh you know the pimp takes control it makes sense. He's an entrepreneur. He's, he's he a businessman.
1: To, he wants to find yeah. the emergency
2: exit. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? So we have like an almost tower inferno disaster movie thing going on. And you know what, Devlin? Yeah. Uh, and I'm not. This is not giving my cards away. But I am a big fan of films when it's like spam in a can. You know. So yeah. I love aliens. I love. I love films where you've got people that are trapped in a situation, and we watch them work it out
1: i would totally agree that like it's uh almost like a bottle episode you know yeah locked box i mean the the, the most obvious example i can think of is something like cube
2: yeah yeah I, I love cube again it's just i really like watching people work it out the theater the cinema sorry uh it, it ends up becoming like a house of horrors doesn't it yeah. you know we we have champ kind who is kind of well, he's used just... as a jump scare yeah. it's a re- it's actually really effective um we didn't we didn't mention it, uh, but I checked out the budget. Pretty damn impressive, mm-hmm. like one and a half million dollars, yeah. and this film made like fifty million dollars, which is pretty damn good it's, margin. Yeah,
1: this. Um, uh, well, I, I spoke to uh, I spoke to my girlfriend about this because um, she used to write for a film magazine in Italy, and she knows a lot of people who still do. And um, I just spoke to her about what kind of reputation these films have over there because uh she was surprised at how how niche and how much of a cult this is uh here in like the uk and I, I would imagine that it's the same in the states as it is here which is that this is kind of like um you know this is a bit of an underground title if you love horror films you've probably heard of it or you've seen it if not you probably haven't it's it's not one that you're going to kind of stumble across, whereas, um, this is, like, people know this film. Um, like, Dario Argento is super famous in Italy. Like, people just know who he is. Like, mums would know who Dario Argento is. And if you mm. talk to most people here, most people wouldn't know the names of many film directors. If they're not, you know, the kind of people who have foolishly dedicated years of their lives to studying something as insignificant as film, they don't mm. really know the names of directors, nor do they care. As long as they No, turn no, out, no, no. As no. long as they turn out good and they enjoy them. Um but I Argento would be something like a like a an equivalent of a, a Scorsese, maybe not with the same lofty reputation.
2: But, but still an, yeah. an auteur.
1: You talk, you talk to basically anyone, they'll know who he is. So um, yeah, this is like a this is a, a, a really, really well known film in Italy, which I found which I found fascinating. But as mm. I mean also, I mean I was shown it on VHS in suburban chicago in 1990 1991 so it does show that it did right. it did travel
2: so we have a bit of a stagnant middle there, right they 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 try and come up to some kind of conclusion as to how to get out of this problem yeah. the theater doors well, are locked and they, no they've, they've been
1: bricked over they smash the doors yeah. down and they find out that they've been bricked over and then um oh, wait we've we've got a uh, we've got a we've got a gag kill before they get up there we've got one Ew. more who gets gag killed super graphic kill some lady in a blue dress gets oh. a fucking scalp ripped off oh, yeah
2: is that Frank's wife
1: cuz she want? is that Ruth uh no Ruth uh Ruth is still alive later because when Frank comes up and attacks them she's oh my husband oh, okay um, I'm glad you... She's just some lady. All oh, right,
2: okay. Oh, well, yeah, I do remember her. Yeah, she, she just she
1: wanders into a room and she gets her scalp ripped off, and then they uh, they have to barricade Rosemary into a into a mm, room.
2: I do remember that now. I do. Coke machine. I do. And this is where. Um, so they go into the projection booth. They they shut it down. They realise that it was on auto. So back in those days, you would have expected a projectionist.
1: Well, there was uh, not just on auto. That there's a a keyboard. Yes awkwardly glued to the side of the uh, projectors <laughs> and and like seven red lights that blink on and off yeah and, and they
2: in must have watched um sequence. 2001 i'm like yeah we'll just put that into this that we hi.
1: yeah i was thinking i was thinking um airplane 2 yeah <laughs> when william shatner's talking about all the lights <laughs> blinking on and off and on and off <laughs> i just want to ask very quickly though where did you watch this where did you watch this film like what version did you find
2: Oh, I've no the, idea, uh, man. English dub- oh,
1: yeah, English dubbed, yeah, so, English dubbed. So I um I had uh uh because I'm a massive wasteful nerd. I have uh two different subscriptions to two different channels, and um uh one of them had the um uh the English language dub, and the other one had the Italian version. And I hadn't realized that it was the Italian version. This was the Arrow Video version. Uh, so I had it uh, in Italian dialogue with English subs. And at this point, when Tony rips the film out of the projector in the Italian version, a title over the when the screen goes to white, the words fine primo tempo come up, which is end of part one.
2: Oh, we, so we're so saying they, that's an intermission?
1: They put an intermission in it. Wow. That's pretty. That's kind of weird. Right? Well, something has been an hour what, and a half. You wouldn't
2: have it. Well, I, I
1: guess. Oh yes. Yeah. We did.
2: Well, yeah, I, I mean, I... it was a thing, right? I remember intermissions all the time. Yeah. Sell, sell ice cream. Sell popcorn. Go for a piss. Yeah, I mean, not in a film like this. Right? Well, no. Not so right. I mean,
1: I think, I think that's. Uh, I think that's like a an almost Tarantino esque, you know, like they would have done with um, uh, what's the the bullshit thing that him and Rodriguez did?
2: There's a grindhouse um, that never was it?
1: really worked. Grindhouse. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think this is like a self-conscious thing because it's. I, I check it's thirty-seven minutes into the film. You don't put the, uh, an intermission thirty-seven minutes no. into a one-hour-and-twenty film. So um, when we are talking about how this is a film that's sort of is is celebrating film making and film going mm. and, the, and the cinema going experience and trying to make that kind of fun and exciting and dangerous again. I think they. Just, I think they put this in there for that because once you get through that point yeah you're in the car with the punks
2: yeah well that would make sense then it. because it's such a okay. such a jarring edit where we're just mm. randomly with these punks one of them looks like sliced alone in the latest rambo or goosed up on drugs and then we've yeah. got a a like the old troll toys or if you've seen brass eye when the girl who's been abused dresses like a troll in order to interpret the story she's just it's just it's weird these punks make no sense whatsoever but i do like his name ripper
1: ripper and um also for we should put punks in inverted commas because the song they're listening to sounds like fucking rick astley
2: uh it's rick Springfield, actually i think so you're it's, not far uh, off.
1: We close our eyes. We close our eyes.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. In the credits it says Go West, which I did not know that was a band. Uh-huh, I thought that okay. was a song by the fiction yeah.
2: boys. Yeah, same here. <laughs> the theory of like this being some sort of satire or parody or commentary on these types of films, the effort they go to conceal the Coke can to then only reveal it, I don't know if that's intentional or if it was just accidental or they just forgot that they end up showing the Coke can, but they oh they, whether they, they flash the logo straight yeah they, the screen. no no they don't show it straight away though they keep showing like it's like they're teasing it it's like a strip tease mm-hmm. like one yeah. little bit comes off then another bit so we're like I can see it's Coke, but I can't see the whole branding so it's like are they having are they making a sort of commentary on product placement or is it just by accident, that they just keep concealing it and then sh- revealing it ever so slowly. And then there's a gag about when one of them uh, has a little sniff because it's actually cocaine, and they're listening yeah. to Billy Idol's White Wedding. Um, <laughs> he's like, oh, this will, this will, what does he say? This will raise oh, wait, the devil. No, um,
1: I think White Wedding's, uh, White Wedding's later. A white Wedding's during
2: um, Nipplegate.
1: Yeah, but yeah, it's it's weird because we keep kind of cutting... Going back and forth from this right i
2: have no idea what they're doing it, 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 they're just it driving bit,
1: it gets a bit chopped up yeah they're they're driving around with um with a coke can full of coke
2: and and how many times do they but I, I emphasize think, that they're like <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, yeah i well, get and it also um it's coke
1: uh so yeah we keep kind of diving in and out from the from the cinema back to the punks and it's quite weird whether, whether they did it just to pull us out of the, the bottle so that we can see what the outside world is doing while they're stuck in there, I, maybe maybe the film was just running a bit short. And that That's what it do. felt
2: like to me. It's... But also, I didn't know whether the filmmakers were trying to say something about punks because mm. as the way that the plot goes on, the punks essentially bring down the world by opening up the door. <laughs>
1: That is true. Yeah, they were. So in every... I don't
2: know whether they were trying to suggest that the punk movement will kill us all. I don't know.
1: <laughs> it's a, it's a good question, and I think we should email Dario Argento.
2: I might do, okay. but within the cinema, unfortunately for me, my favorite character, Bobby Rhodes, Pimp T, he um. He's trying to like he, they they've noticed now that once you get scratched or once you get sort of cut a bit like zombies yeah. lot of zombie films, um, then you're going to become a demon. And uh, so he's trying to get <laughs> that rid vessel, of, for uh, evil, a, <laughs> a vessel for evil. You vessel for evil. He's trying to get rid of uh, dispose of Liz, um, the Liz's blind course. man's yeah. yeah wife, daughter, cousin, whatever narrator.
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, she's definitely a narrator. narrator. Yeah, yeah
2: narrator. Uh, and he's like this is this is where he sort of turns into I guess not a baddie, but he's sort of like saying, They ain't gonna get me. Well
1: yeah. Well he wants uh he wants George to help throw the the corpse over and he won't do it. He, you ain't worth shit.
2: Even though he had no issue dragging her down, I think he could have just chucked her over. Yeah. But he uh he's got this little pen knife that's great in it. Or oh, the little flip knife. Not a pen knife, sorry, a little flip knife. And um he gets attacked, and he because it's the it's the arse, arsehole
1: husband turns up. He's yeah, the yeah, he yeah. The the thing he's climbed up the rope where um, where Champkind has been urinated, <laughs> <laughs> but um, and then when he when he shivs him and he falls, uh, we find out that the teen girl is crawling between the the rows of seats. She's been left behind in the bottom deck. She's the only one left, and it goes really. Um, when he falls on top of her, he just starts barfing up loads of like bile and black blood all over her face is like um you know in drag me to hell
2: yeah when, yeah uh, it's 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 very evil dead, yeah uh, I thought i mean it's uh, the evil dead influence is definitely there, just in the sort of the splatter gore horror, uh, but also i I do think the film is trying to be you know we talked about it in Science of the Lambs about that relationship between horror and comedy, mm. I'm not saying it's trying to be like a laugh out loud ha 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 comedy but there's definitely moments where they are trying to kind of if they think they've established some form of suspense or tension they're trying to sort of you know get you out of it with a with a laugh yeah. or with a kind of cathartic kind of ah uh, release and and they they do try and do that within the film whether or not it works it's up to your individual response to the film whether or not you like these types of this kind of sub genre of film
1: there are so many examples of. of- Full-scale blatant theft of entire films. Like if you've ever watched Contamination, and as a fan of Alien, you should watch Contamination. I made do. Yeah, at the moment they they kind of they're up on the balcony and 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 it's like it's chaotic there, but um they they build a big
2: chair barricade and once once yeah. T's taken out, like the momentum of the film kind of drops for me. Um and then they just kind of sit around and we're back in with the yeah. punks and then I'm not gonna lie, Devlin. The girlfriend boyfriend thing; uh, those two characters were oh, just so we're, disposable.
1: I I like the way they um, they resolved their plot, although I feel like they bailed out a bit early.
2: What when they're just climbing through diode style through the vent?
1: Yeah, um, and I really like the way they do it when you know you can hear the the claws and he's he's trying to say like hurry up I can hear something and then yeah yeah but they they drag it out a little bit too long when they push her in front and say.
2: Now the claws are in front of us.
1: Oh, come on, guys. Yeah,
2: everything in this film, they they set up things and you can see what they're going for and the ideas are right, but they just... I don't know whether it's just length they needed. They wanted to get the film to be longer. Mm. But everything just feels like it needed like another round of editing where you could just like cut down a few shots yeah. and then... Bang!
1: I think it's this middle stretch. It's not a long film, but
2: um, yeah, I think once we're still waiting for these punks to turn up, it becomes like a slasher film where it's just set up, kill, set up, kill, set up, kill. But we don't get that cool transition until mm. a little bit later on.
1: They're just marooned up there. They smash down that wall, and they end. Do you know uh, the, there's a weird, like, pointless digression, which is they smash through a wall and end up in another room, which leads to another room, which leads to a room which is just bare brick. Felt and like
2: Philip, big time. The
1: the bare brick room uh, just sends all of the women mental. Specifically, all the women. All the guys are unaffected. They all start screaming, and then they just is a uh, a smash cut, and they're back outside, just kind of sitting back on the balcony.
2: Well, this this field like, felt like Evil Dead to me because they are, they're, they're clearly trying to say that the wars are kind of talking to them or something by the way that they shoot it. Yeah. There's a because lot of Verner good angles goes, with sort yeah. of... Werner um, says the that
1: the, or... the uh, it's the theater that wants them.
2: Yes, exactly. And um, it reminded me of the sort of the smash zooms uh, tilted into the clocks in yeah. The First Evil Dead. And so to me, that was what they were going for, but it's completely... Superfluous. It does nothing. It doesn't really creep well, you out. Maybe if
1: maybe if you could wrap it in a little more to like throw some kind of prop in that big square room that suggests that this is related to the um, Nostradamus tomb that they find in the um, in the movie within the movie.
2: Well, I think they kind of point towards it though when the blind guy says it's not the movie, it's the theater. Yeah. So we're now and t- we're now thinking, okay, is the theater the thing that's haunted? Is. Uh, I yeah. just put 2 and 2 together. The film does a really bad job of telling you exactly how everything has transpired because fundamentally without getting into like big plot holes I don't really understand why they needed to have this whole cinema ruse in order to spread the petulance. Um but I'm going with it because that's what the film's telling me. Yeah. However, I would have preferred like in the film to have seen the cinema and then you would know, oh, okay, so Nostradamus's tomb is underneath this theater. Does, they yeah. don't really do that. They should have done something like that and then you could link it.
1: We would have made that little digression have some sort of purpose. It would have
2: had some worth. Yeah, yeah. it's just it just feels like it's, it's filler because um, we don't have any characters and we're kind of waiting for the next big practical effects sequence. And, and should we just get there because yeah. really nothing happens because well,
1: yeah the the, um, the 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 punks and cops turn up politsai turn up and they um, they just Oh them. wait
2: oh, can we just talk about the nipple? Yeah we can talk and, about and the what nipples. they're trying to suggest there's always something in every film isn't there, that that evokes a little bit of controversy i have zero idea what they're driving at is this just like some this is this just like some sort of yeah, just echo of the Perverted Italian horror films of the past, where we just have a razor blade rubbing up against yeah a big honestly, raw nipple,
1: probably. Just it, it's uh, it's there to, like I was talking about, it's there viscerally. You want to viscerally get a rise. There's a lot of yeah, stuff there's
2: nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing really sexy in the film, is there? No. Apart from this snogging earlier. <laughs> I think that was with <laughs> Champ khan weird
1: middle-aged dude pouring at uh, a woman, and then just this awkward just a nipple covered in cocaine getting rubbed, yeah, it doesn't, rubbed with a, a razor blade it's it is bizarre
2: i guess it's it's my fault because i'm always searching for that you know that semiotics that hidden mm. meaning but i was just I was, I was trying to wrap my head around like what are they suggesting but i think it was just I think it's the because bit, it's so because it's shot
1: there. so close up yeah, I think they're just you know the the Pauline kale thing of like sex and death. All cinema is just sex and death. So uh, <laughs> after after this bizarre, bizarre, um, dead end, they uh, they get chased down a dead end by some cops, but a door opens itself because yeah. the theater is now in control. We we have established that the cinema itself is maybe sentient. Maybe
2: we're roles are reversed here because this is normally my job. To be generous, but I think you're being a bit generous. there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, nothing really yeah. happens. The punks just kind of get taken yeah, out yeah. like as quickly yeah, they, as that. They just,
1: don't uh, they. And they decide that it's going to be fun to, you know, they they have like chains and shit, and they're going to fight all the demons off. And I believe at this point, the the girl has already been taken out. in a
2: she walked into yeah, room, she's been taken out, and just- she
1: gets like the girl with no uh, with no scalp comes and messes her up.
2: Just yeah, yeah, back. yeah. I, I suppose. I mean, they did set that up. Uh, so that she would be in that room, so you know, I'll give them some credit there. Mm. But then we have Devlin I think the best bit of practical effects, Kathy, yep, Megan Fox. They subvert your expectations a little bit where they shoot it in a way where you're like, yeah, she's definitely gonna be a demon. Her back's two, yeah. They pull in. She isn't, and it's like quite so, you know, it's a nice little surprise. To reveal that she hasn't quite turned. She turns. She, she has. Turns
1: very, very slowly, and her eyes go.
2: She turns very, very, very slowly, and this is where um, oh, gremlins. Oh, yeah, with the with I'm the going gremlins. To, the, the second the little transformation creature that comes because out. she
1: transforms once, which is a yeah, and then Ken, Ken smashes her with a with a uh, grate from a um, from the uh, <laughs> the air conditioning duct where currently the teenage couple that we didn't care about have you know yeah
2: yeah yeah. they went in the bed, um, and then yeah she she and then he he, he shouts at kristen stewart <laughs> that's not your
1: friend anymore and, and uh <laughs> yeah the the like weird goblin demon thing rips out of the back
2: yeah i, I got totally gremlins I was like, that, it was, as, soon as, the, yeah. um, as soon as the hand came out, You know what's, I was uh, like, ooh, that looks like Gremlins. And then, I, and then I checked the date and I was like... You know what yeah. I, th- I think they did was that
1: in, in Demons 2, I think when they recreated, because Demons 2 is basically just the same film in terms of all of the plot contrivances and all of the timings and all of the things that happen, it's basically the same film. You, yeah, yeah, just an unnecessary carload of punks coming in to just ruin the film halfway through, and uh, when the little boy is in the is in the pregnant woman's apartment, and he births a little, and that is totally gremlins, isn't it? It's giggling, it's running around, mm-hmm. it's kind of
2: oh yeah, you know, no, hundred percent. But I thought it was really, really good. I found
1: I found this one more interesting because it's so quick like it rips out of her back slashes ken yeah, yeah. and then it just
2: sort of toddles off sideways like a muppet <laughs> You know what it does you know when you uh i don't know if you've ever been to like um like oh god this sounds really pretentious you ever been to like the ballet or um or like a stage show and people dance but they look oh, dr- directly okay, yeah, at yeah. you as they dance off stage that's what it does yeah. and it made me laugh yeah so it's much. great because it's facing you, but yeah, it's yeah, sliding like... out
1: sideways. the perpendicular. It to the never camera. turns.
2: It just stares yeah. directly down the camera. Oh, it's
1: brilliant! I was <laughs> laughing my head off at it. Uh, so yeah, and and like yeah, um, and we're we're pruning the cast down now. Like we're 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 down we're down to four. Yeah, yeah. We're down to three.
2: Ken's been slashed. And and they don't they don't mess around. So like in a zombie film, we've you know we've established it already. George George A. Romero's established it, you know, the character that gets gets injured and the other characters want to try and save him, him or her. Yeah. And,
1: Who's the guy from Dawn of the Dead? Is it? Uh the, you know the blonde guy that they keep him they keep him in the bed. Yeah, I, I can't I
2: can't remember his name. I can't remember his name. He's like the Pete, he's like honestly, the SWAT Pete. guy, isn't he? Uh yeah but yeah. you know it's it's that is a now a well established kind of trope for these types of films. They just spend about three minutes on it, though. He's like, I don't want to I don't want to die. Leave me alone. Fight it, Ken. Fight it. You can do it.
0: You're still here. Go away. I don't like to see me like this. Please go away.
2: And then I'm going to point something out, Devlin, and this is probably a little bit crude, but Damn it, I've not been crude enough, I don't think. The way that they frame George standing over Ken and he's got like one arm on his shoulder. And I don't want to be a bit lewd, but it looks like he's sort of bumming him like doggy style, the way that they framed (laughs) it. It It might have just been me. Maybe I had something else in mind. I don't know. Uh, I know sometimes we're we'll looking at the arcs in this last, case, It made me last I think so much. it's
1: probably just uh, a <laughs> bit of a rushed blocking, yeah, but, and it was only later when they did the edit that it's like, oh, does that look like a bummy? It
2: was just the Lovely. way. It was just the way. It was like, just do one thing for me, and I was
1: like, oh my god,
2: <laughs> what am I watching here? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, some uh, pretty dramatic favour to ask.
2: Yeah, yeah. Luckily, there was a katana sword available.
1: Just do one thing for me. Would you please decapitate me? Yeah, and he does. And it's great. Yeah. But this
2: is where um, I talked before about four screenwriters, several different ideas going on. This is where this film just completely evolves into. And we're in 1985. So this, this feels to me very purposely done. We're now into like an action film
1: his waist well, his sleeves are off you realize that all this time he's actually been buff he's
2: buff sweaty yep. and he's got a katana and a bike
1: yeah and he's riding over the backs of the seats like they're going for it this is uh this is a no holds barred conclusion of a guy on a dirt bike riding around across the backs of the seats of the cinema slashing away at anonymous demon zombie things and it is
2: robert mckee he always says if you wow him in the end you've got yourself a hit well this ended wowed me (laughs) i was was absolutely pissing myself because what was so funny was not only have we already established and orientated the space but they cut to these wide shots where the bike is going up and down. And you can clearly see he's only got one route, which is to do a little yeah. circle. It's so these sticky. demons are chasing him whilst yeah. he's just chopping he's them up. He's got two miles I to go piece- down. I-
1: up and down.
2: I was pissed at myself laughing, mate. I was Honestly, I was better than most comedies I've seen this year. I was just laughing so hard because every time they went for the big wide, I was like, look, it's really obvious where he's going, demons. Go go there. He's about to, yeah, to go that, down the aisle and then turn right.
1: They're evil, so, you know, they're not going to, like, strategize, although it does seem that they What can. I love as
2: well is when they cut to the close-ups, it's clearly, like, just two... There's two guys, probably, like, grips, just pulling the bike very, very slowly as he's just chopping away at these demons. Oh, my yeah. God. This, we always say, like, some films are so bad they're good. Well, this film hasn't been quite that. For the majority of its running time, but this last sort of five-minute epic ending bit is is brilliant. It's, if it's if the film was just these like five minutes, it's a recommend all the way from me.
1: <laughs> but I just you know, we we need it. We've had a we've had a lot of um, we've been we've been uh, building up to a lot of stuff, and and there's there's been a lot of shifting kind of tones, and um, I think uh, the Kathy's transformation is genuinely kind of creepy double transformation yeah yeah no
2: i mean don't, yeah yeah absolutely changes absolutely. you know we've
1: got that and yeah the fact that you can just go straight from that to this why not if you can
2: <laughs> if you can pull it off then why not it is bloody brilliant and
1: just around the time that this starts to become a bit wearying because as he pointed out, he can only. It's five minutes.
2: I, I I clocked it, man. He's yeah. going round in circles for five minutes. Up
1: and down and up and down, and then they fall off the bike because at some point you just have to not be on the bike anymore. Um, he gets he gets stabbed. It's one of the demons has.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh,
1: and then, uh, just a, a helicopter, a helicopter crashes. Oh, in you the on ceiling. about
2: Deus Ex Machina just coming through the ceiling in a in a direct hey, you- straight drop. Like helicopters don't. Yes.
0: What's going on? Oh my God, that noise! <gasps> <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. This is—I um, mean, again, I uh, <laughs> maybe I gave the maybe I'm giving the film to its credit. It, this is either genius where they're like saying. We know we're now into ridiculous land where we've got someone riding around on a bike with a katana slashing up demons, and we're now going to we're going to we're going to dial it up to eleven and drop a little helicopter that we've not established in any way. It's going go to drop through the know, ceiling because yeah. that's the way our characters are going to get out of this this situation.
1: I think, um, yeah, for me, I think I think like I said, they're they're writing for effect, and they want to get they want to get a, a a rise out of the audience. They want to get a reaction. So it's like, Yep. It's helicopter. It's it's a big, big Z piece. It's a it's a real yeah, helicopter. Yeah. It's
2: it's pretty impressive. And they smash it into a real cinema. Yeah, it is pretty impressive. Uh, and the way that they utilize the helicopter is even better. Because they again they just no, they well, take I mean, it even further. So we've got I mean these demons, I was gonna say um it's not really a criticism, but they're definitely demons slash their zombies because they don't really seem yes. to have any um, sort of additional power, other than if they scratch you, you become a demon. They just become like yeah, they, just they just spread slash, it they're because they're pretty dumb. Yeah, and actually, yeah. when he is doing yeah. his little slashy slash with the katana, if he just mm-hmm. stabs you in the chest or wherever, like a human being, they'll they die. So yeah. there is no real advantage to being a demon as far as gaining yeah. supernatural strength or power. I
1: mean, the um, but they can strategize and use tools so for example uh demon rosemary could use a velvet rope to make david Suchet and liz smash together so close that they that they uh just they just die from
2: proximity yeah yeah i mean I... and also
1: in uh in demons too the they will um if you're working out in in a gym they'll crush you with your own gym yeah they're,
2: they're they're quite cunning like that the little bastards
1: but, <laughs> yeah, but also, they will just sometimes stand there and wait to get established. Yeah, we're, okay.
2: near, we're very, very near the end. It's all happened very, yeah. very quickly, uh, apart from that five-minute mm-hmm. cycle round. And um, he climbs up, and then Terminator slash Phantom the Opera is just waiting there. Now, I didn't notice until...
1: He's the He's now got a kind of demon face. Well, I
2: didn't notice until the second time I saw it that he yeah. is one of the actors in the meta film. So I didn't know... And I was going to ask you, oh, and the, you're fil- right, the yeah. film doesn't establish this, right? So I'm just pulling pulling stuff out of my arse. Is he like the head? Is he the origin? Or is he just another demon? And again, this is me. This is unfortunately my great, great, well, one of my many, many flaws is that I always need to try and apply some form of logic internally within the film. So we've, we've established that they're going to set up this, this whole Willy Wonka scenario with a a fake movie and all that but what is he to the demons is he just another demon and if he is that why didn't he just go out and scratch people because he was in the film it was the second time i saw it that i noticed because the first time i think i was so horrified with the acting i was trying to work out what am i watching
1: but yeah he's the he's the first one to turn yeah i don't think the film or the filmmakers took that time to kind of yeah, to create an internal logic as to how and why the demons do what they do. Mm, I think they developed okay. them just enough to make them into the...
2: Get the kills, the, get the effects. Yeah, to get to, to yeah. be the... the and, it, and it looks cool, you know. He does look... He is... Again, he stands out. Yeah. He's one of the ones that you do take note of because he's got that Phantom of the Opera thing going on.
1: Yeah, it would have it been cool if his if his plan was something more notable than just Chucking George back down into the hole from whence he came. With a with a film like this, when when you kind of you're either on board or you're not. And when you're on board with it, and something fun and stupid is happening, it's just another layer of brilliant. So the fact that he did winch himself up like Batman on a grappling hook, and the you know this total nerd from the start of the film could do all of these things, I, I I was
2: yeah cheering. Well, it happened. It happened to Ash in The Evil Dead. Exactly. So why can't it happen to George?
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and, and then he so metal. yeah he smashes it on. It's another. It's another quite cool effect. Uh, and then this is when we're like really last couple of minutes of the film, but we get to see this dystopian post-apocalyptic. The world is crumbling. I actually think with the limited budget that they had, they really do establish it quite quickly. Yeah. And quite effectively, good fires, you know, all you need good to do is burn, is burn some stuff, yeah. right? It's got that escape from New York feel. Yeah, and
1: I, it's cool. And, and, I like uh, it, you know, all these chain link fences with big hordes of glowing eyed demons on the other side, and
2: and and then and then they and they run through, and we see. I guess is it? It's not a train station, is it? I can't remember. Um, if it's another train,
1: kind park. of, or like an underground car park or something.
2: But yeah, th- it's very industrial. Anyway, it, yeah, it feels like a car park, and we get like. The, deus ex machina uh, 2 <laughs> yeah deus ex machina 2 although this one um, less less like jarring than a helicopter dropping yeah. in uh, randomly uh, they just get rescued by these other survivors
1: who let's be honest this whole film is probably taking place almost in real time so this family of a dad and his two kids they seem not just very well prepared, but also super (laughs) into this particular post-apocalyptic world that they find themselves in. They are super comfortable eating sandwiches and shooting people who are possessed by demons. They have adjusted to this very quickly. Good shot. Welcome aboard.
0: There are more weapons on the floor. Where are we going? Out in the country. Just a second. Hey dad. Dad, we wanna know where where we're going.
1: As far from here as possible. Which is, uh, you know, yeah. that's that's good parenting, I think. What's
2: even more funny is how they're just like blue-eyed blondes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: just it's true the little Aryan kids coming through. <laughs> yeah, they just like these
2: little these little definite Germans and there's one weird too old dad for my liking he looks for, those, like uh, for those kids. Right? Yeah, he does look like Donald Pleasant's. They pick them up and then we we think and this is I'll give them credit. They we think that you know Cheryl or Kristen Stewart was our last girl. Yeah. Um, you know, music starts kicking the on. They're driving the away. They're eating sandwiches. So
1: the
2: cre- yeah, the credits even roll, yeah. but we know something's rotten in Denmark because we're zooming into the back of Kristen Stewart's head, which we've seen a couple of times mm-hmm. now, and we're waiting for it, aren't we? But I do like the fact that they go it's there. So and old old Kristen Stewart is actually a yeah, demon. When she
1: reaches back. She reaches, you get that squelching sound, and then she turns, like she lunges straight at the at the camera, at the audience, fully mm-hmm. demoned. And you know, nobody cares that there's no internal consistency as to how or when you turn into a demon, right?
2: I kind of assumed that when she got when uh, Batman winched her out, uh, one of the demons yeah. grabbed her grab the leg i just assume that the demon managed oh, to get yeah. a quick i mean um, it, it doesn't matter when you, quick when you, paper could, cut you could have got
1: scratched at any point you're in the film but i mean like um that some of the characters have like slow kind of it's the same as any zombie movie that
0: you, you turn, yeah, you yeah
1: it you kind turn of is i mean as far it, it, as the we, script needs you to turn if you need to turn like slowly because you're a character that we like and that we need to find it kind of sad that you are turning then we'll drag it out if it's uh if it's a jump scare like this, fuck it. Just let's have it happen in two seconds. And then she turns around with the fangs and the claws and everything. It's great. And then that kid just casually offs her. In
2: that the little chest. kid just wastes her. It's Shotguns
1: her in the chest. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then the music's just like straight back. Yeah.
1: just straight <laughs> back. Uh and and
2: And that and is, is...
1: That is That's demons. It. It's done.
2: This is a throwback. It was your Damn. choice, so I will. It leads me to ask the big, important question: Let's see. Did you waste your time? Does demons still hold up? Do you recommend it for our listeners and for those out there who might not have seen demons?
1: Oh, that is a. Uh, it's, it's a lot of. It's, oh, I've wrapped about it, five questions you know, it's, in one. There yeah, five questions, and uh, and they're all kind of. Um, did I waste my time? I didn't waste my time. Um,
2: That's because it was an hour yeah, and twenty, and
1: it was once in the early nineties, and then I didn't see it again for like fifteen years, maybe <laughs> more. Um, but like, it stuck with me to such an extent that no, uh, uh, definitely not. And I, I've watched it a couple of times in the uh, in the ensuing years, and and every time I do, I enjoyed it. I will say that the most enjoyable uh, time I had watching it was. At a cinema on film, it makes a big difference. You know, like um, I don't know if you go to to like a lot of like gigs or festivals or whatever, but there are certain bands that um, you hear them recorded. You know, you hear their music and you just think, eh, "This is fine." And then you see them playing live, and you feel like this is what this is what your your music is is meant for, and it is completely different. Demons is another one where. Watching it on your own on a TV is a far different experience than watching it communally in a cinema, especially now because it's an older film, because it's a cult film. The kind of audiences you're going to see it with are the kind of audiences that are going to be super into it.
2: Yeah, you can share the experience.
1: It's uh, it's great. It's so much fun. I can't ask you whether you wasted your youth, but I can ask you whether um, you wasted a cumulative total of three hours of your life over the last week or so?
2: Mm, this, one's a, this one's a tough one. Uh, so I really enjoyed watching it a second time. Uh, the first time I saw it, I kind of saw it at surface level and the practical effects are great. The um, Some of the ideas are interesting, but they're really badly executed in my opinion. But, the yeah. second time I saw it, I really did see the film for what it is. And actually, it's good fun. The caveat is that you either need to be into horror films and into this type of horror film. You know, if you like The Conjuring, you and that's your idea of good horror, you ain't going to enjoy this because there is nothing, maybe if you were a kid, 10 years, 11 years old, some of the special effects are pretty freaky and would, would give you nightmares, but as an adult, or as a like older, you know, even if you're in your teens, there's nothing here that's going to scare you. But I don't think this film is for that kind of, you know, to be actually scared. This is really a film to be enjoyed as good fun. I totally agree. Uh, it's a it's a community watch. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't tell people to go out if on the first viewing to a cinema, but I would say watch it with some friends. Watch it with a beer in hand. I, I think kind of getting drunk with it would be a good thing um, you're certainly not watching this for any kind of characters that are going to you know, change your, your worldview. view, this isn't the film for you, but if you like good, bad movies I'm surprising myself here I do recommend Demons 1985, beer in hand though you need a beer, so Devlin would you like to know my pick for the next episode as part of the throwback series I'm on the edge of my seat. Well, I've already mentioned before about sci-fi and mm-hmm. I had noticed in the five films that we've done that none of them were sci-fi. So I was very much going to pick a, a sci-fi film. However, uh, events last week changed my mind and considering the passing of Burt Reynolds, I thought it would be very much an appropriate time to look back in my opinion his best performance which is Boogie Nights
1: uh, you know what that's amazing it seems right yeah.
2: you know um,
1: I'm really I'm really uh, really happy
2: so our next episode will be Marky Mark's <laughs> greatest performance <laughs> which was I'm his first huge,
1: I'm a huge star I'm a huge star I'm a big bright big bright shining star yes, indeed.
2: <laughs> we are going to be looking at Boogie Nights that's it for now on the Rewire Movie Podcast I'm Gally, and I'm going to sign out. Stop the movie! Kill the movie!
1: (laughs) And I'm Devlin, and I'm also going to sign out, but I don't have a quote.
2: Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Rewire Movie Podcast. Thanks. Hi, everyone. I've got a quick favour to ask. If you enjoyed the podcast, could you rate and review the episode on whatever platform you're listening? For more information about the podcast, check out RewindMovieCast.com. Also, find us on Twitter and Instagram and let us know your thoughts about each episode. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.